You'll get some people who say, this is the only way to get to heaven. This particular book or path or prayer is the only way to connect with the God of everything. Okay, but then why is there everything? Why wouldn't God have spent less time on making the intricacies of chemical reactions and the complexity of processes and just spent his time making sure everyone had that book? Actually, that would only make sense if everything was that book. If the instructions were written into everything. On a related note, why did Jesus Christ turn water into wine? With all the problems that alcohol can bring into people's lives, why would God spend a miracle on infusing some party with more booze? And now you might be wondering, how could that second point possibly be related to that first one? Well, if you want to find out, you're in the right place. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. If you're watching this show, it means you accidentally clicked on one of our videos on YouTube. The back button is up there. You can go find what you're actually looking for. If you can't get that to work, then welcome to the show. This is a show where we look at Swedenborg's spiritual experiences and we look at life. and We try to see where the two intersect and we are going to bite off a lot more than we can chew today to really try to do the mission of this show. We're going to look at the details of life and see how they apply to us. You know, how does the external apply to the internal? And it's only going to get more confusing from here. So my name is Curtis Childs. I'm the host. And if you want to be part of this conversation, you can help uh, clear things up, steer it. We have a question and answer at the end. Get those in there, uh, and that should do us all well. We're looking today, it's called spiritual fermentation. So we're going to be looking at how the process, the physical process of fermentation mirrors a process that is essential for all of us to go through on a spiritual, which you could also call psychological or mental and emotional level. That's not to say that we are necessarily advocating or railing against alcohol in this episode. This is about the process, and I'll try to make that clear as clear as anything is going to be in this particular program. All right, enough about it. Let's take a look now at part one. We begin with two basic principles. One is in the title there, that it's a level playing field, and the other is that we have free choice in spiritual matters. Because this is setting the scene for the whole fermentation thing. Level playing field meaning everybody has access to the means for spiritual growth and what could be labeled salvation. And we have free choice to use those means or not. But you don't got to take my word for it. This is True Christianity 490, Swedenborg's book. As always, click these, download them for free if you want to fact check us here or read more on any one particular thought. Swedenborg says, all of us are predestined to heaven and none of us is predestined to hell. Because in his day there was, and there still sort of is this Christian doctrine called predestination where people think, Some people automatically go to heaven, some people automatically go to hell, and this was decided before you were born. So he's railing against that here. We devote ourselves to hell by abusing our freedom in spiritual matters, then we embrace the types of things that emanate from hell. We are all kept in the central area between heaven and hell so that we are in an equilibrium between good and evil and therefore have free choice in spiritual matters. Uh, There. 
free choice. It has to be available to everyone in the whole system. The whole reason life is like it is where there's good and bad things in our lives, where we get positive and negative impulses, is to keep us in that freedom, because we have to be able to use that to either embrace the things that emanate from heaven or the things that emanate from hell, which are what you would think come out of each of those positive, uh, non non-selfish things from heaven, more ego-driven, negative stuff comes out of hell, according to Swedenborg. So to keep that freedom and the spiritual freedom and to make sure there is that there is no predestination, that we all have a shot at becoming the, the beings we were meant to be, there has to be universal access to the means of salvation, meaning anybody can obtain... There's, there's a certain path you can follow pretty multiplicitous path, actually, but there's a general thrust to it. But everybody has access to learning what that path is and following it. So Swedenborg comments on this in his book, Divine Providence, 330. And this portion in the beginning is a chapter title of his, uh, which are usually long sentences. Any predestination but predestination to heaven is contrary to divine wisdom, which is infinite. It is through its divine wisdom that divine love provides the means by which we can all be saved. So to say that there is a predestination to anywhere but heaven is to say that divine love cannot provide the means of salvation. Yet we all do have the means. The nature of heaven is to provide a place there for all who lead good lives, no matter what their religion may be. So the means are are given to everyone. Swedenborg was relatively radical in his day, mid-1700s, for saying you didn't have to be of one particular organized religion to go to heaven, but he goes even farther and says that divine love and divine wisdom work to make sure that the means to be saved, which is a Christian term, it essentially means to, to free ourselves from the negativity of hell and accept the good of love from God if we, if we want to do that, um, we all have the means of that. Uh, but the means to on that path is not just reciting something, it's a matter of reformation of character, of, of spiritual growth, I think you would call it. Divine Providence 3.22, he goes on, he says, Under divine providence, everyone can be saved, and everyone is saved who believes in God and lives a good life. This means that everyone is predestined to heaven and no one to hell. Divine love cannot do otherwise than intend this, and divine wisdom cannot do otherwise than provide for this. And in case you think that's a little bit weird that Swedenborg is talking about divine and cannot in the same sentence, like how is the divine not able to do something, you might like our episode, What God Can't Do. You can click it there, and this is all about the sort of self-imposed limitations of, of the divine. Here we are, we're a few minutes in. What does all this have to do with fermentation? We're laying the groundwork right now. These principles, we, the spiritual freedom that everybody has access to the means, these are leading us in to whatever this spiritual fermentation thing is going to be. So bear with us. So that intent to save everyone. Swedenborg says, God wants to reach out to bless, make happy, and give the best future to everybody that will possibly accept it. And so, divine wisdom, there's, there's divine love and divine wisdom. Divine love is God's drive to, to do what I just said, save everyone. Divine wisdom is the knowledge of the means of how to do that. And one way of dispersing the means was through the language of correspondences, which we talk about in Swedenborg, which essentially means everything that you interact with and you see is a symbol of something deeper. Um, actually, the earliest people 
could just look at nature. They could look at mountains, they could look at trees, and they could know things about God, about how we're meant to live, about how to maximize the human being and and how to tap into love. And they could learn it just by looking at that, because that was written into everything. And Swedenborg elaborates it on it further here, and this is a little clip from his book, Heaven and Hell, number 89. First, I need to state what correspondence is. The whole natural world is responsive to the spiritual world. The natural world, not just in general, but in detail. So whatever arises in the natural world out of the spiritual one is called something that corresponds. It needs to be realized that the natural world arises from and is sustained in being by the spiritual world, exactly the way an effect relates to its efficient cause. By the natural world, I mean all that extended reality that is under our sun and that receives its light and warmth from it. All the things that are sustained in being from that source belong to that world. The spiritual world, in contrast, is heaven, and to that world belong all the things that are in the heavens. And we can see images of everything in heaven, in the spiritual world, in the objects of this world. This is correspondences. For example, you have flowers who are, they're a biological thing, but they're also an image of qualities that spring up in the mind. Swedenborg says birds, the way that birds behave can give you insight into how thoughts work. Fruit are related to good actions and the good things people do. Animals correspond to affections. You can see this innocence in a lamb, that a lamb is actually a living symbol of innocence. Even rock and water have to do with truth, can teach us things about truth, and we're going to look a little bit into grapes and what they can do here. We're about to get into fermentation, but first let's, let's look why, why in particular fermentation. This is True Christianity 201. Divine attributes present themselves in the world in the form of correspondences. Therefore, the Word, he's talking about the Old and New Testaments, was written entirely in correspondences. For the same reason the Lord spoke in correspondences, since He spoke from what is divine. Divinity is present in nature in the form of things that correspond to divine attributes and that have divine attributes known as heavenly and spiritual qualities hidden deep within them. Now we arrive at why we're going to talk about this. You have things in the physical world being images of deeper spiritual realities. I was talking about those things that flash across the screen, birds, etc. But that's just talking about an object and giving a general symbolism for it. We want to look at an in-depth process, that even the processes that happen in this world correspond to spiritual realities. And we want to look at fermentation, because as Swedenborg was just saying there in True Christianity 201, the Word, the New Testament, the Old Testament, are written in these correspondences. Jesus Christ talks about fermentation. He talks about uh, the yeast of the scribes and Pharisees, leavened, unleavened bread, and as we saw in the intro, there was this miracle of water into wine. And as we said, why is that a miracle? turning water into wine. You might think that's fun for a party. Some people have completely had their lives destroyed by alcohol or by someone they love being too consumed by alcohol. So why is that a divine miracle? Well, it comes down to the process of fermentation, of the changing of water into wine, is a a direct physical image of the process we need to go through to connect to God and accept 
heaven into our minds. So why wouldn't you want to see that? We're going to look at how the details of that process of fermentation mirror the process of spiritual growth in us, and we're going to one-up Swedenborg here, if I can be so bold, because in the time between him writing those books in the mid-1700s and today, we've learned as a human race a lot more about how fermentation works. We know the chemical processes that he didn't know at the time, so we're even going to try to look at those and see are there more details about this process in those microscopic elements. So that's the ride. Let's get on it now and go in part two. How does fermentation reflect the means and the process of salvation? That is the question we have led ourselves to here. We have to begin that with yet another foundational concept, but don't worry, we'll spare you the quotes. This one can be a picture. All right, so this is us looking at something. We see a tree, the light bounces off the tree, the photons enter the eye, hit the retina. We have actually, there's an upside down image of it in the eye. The brain corrects it and you end up consciously seeing a tree. The actual process of seeing that tree happens in the brain, but we know that the tree is an object external to us. It's out there because we've had experience walking closer and farther to things. You can walk around something. You know that a tree is that. What Swedenborg, so we know that our, our physical senses impinge on our consciousness. What Swedenborg is saying is that even the thoughts and the feelings that we get are affected by external stimuli. However, it's not affected by things that are around us in the world, it's affected by things that are around our spirits in the spiritual world. He says there is a constant inflow from heaven and hell that's affecting how we think and feel. So understanding that principle. And the more that you can come to test it out, see it as a reality, in some way experience it, the more you come to believe or at least think it's probable, that can have a huge effect on how you look at life and can help you along this process of salvation. Swedenborg says, Divine Providence 3.20, if we believed, and again, we've got ourselves an italicized title. Yeah, look at how long that title is. They don't make them like that anymore. If we believed that as is truly the case, everything good and true comes from the Lord, and everything evil and false comes from hell. Then we would not claim the goodness as our own and make it self-serving, or claim the evil as our own and make ourselves guilty of it. If we make these two acknowledgments, we simply reflect on the evils within ourselves, and to the extent that we abstain and turn from them as sins, throw them back into the hell they came from. This means that divine providence does not charge anyone with evil or credit anyone with good. Rather, our own prudence makes each one of these claims. So we have an option. We have a choice. Every time we're in pinged upon by a feeling or a thought. It's like the practice of mindfulness and meditation or where you're, you know, we're going to close our eyes and a thought is going to happen. Instead of you identifying with that thought, watch it go by. Have you ever done that? Like a yoga class or something? I've done it. Um, It's hard. But we're going to take that principle. We, we have that choice every moment with every thought and feeling. And Swedenborg is saying that it's really life is in that way, kind of like a choose your own adventure. You guys remember those? 
uh, these old books that are like, I don't know when they came out, the 80s or something, where you go along and what you choose takes you to what page. Well, we just happen to have a really good one here. It's called Wallet Adventure. You pause that screen if you want to see some little Easter eggs there. Um, so I couldn't resist saying that. All right, let's let's do this choose your own adventure. This is the mo- this is the moment to moment choosing that makes us that, that defines how we relate to heaven and hell. So, for example, oh look, this guy here, someone dropped their wallet and didn't notice. Suddenly it occurs to you, hey, I could take that, take the cash and spend as much from their credit cards as I can before they notice and shut them down. You feel a surge of excitement at what you could buy. If you go through with it, turn to page 57. Well, just turn to page 57. Never mind. I want that money. You act on those thoughts and feelings, further identifying yourself with the things that come from hell, making it that much more difficult for you to be freed from them. Plus, you really hurt someone. But it feels good for a little while. No, okay, never mind. That turn back. You know we all cheat on these two users your own adventure books too. Uh, turn back, turn back. Okay, let's see the second. I don't want to end up like that. The second choice. If you acknowledge that that thought and feeling are that are driving you towards stealing from this person actually come from hell, and you refuse to do it because hell is stupid and ultimately destructive to everyone involved, turn to page one hundred. All right, let's try this one. You're on the path. Hell loses a little control over you, and you gain more of the benefits of heaven. The end. We did it. That's the that's a silly way of really laying out what Swedenborg says is one of the most important things in spiritual growth is to distance yourself from the negative things that come into you. And that might seem like it would be really hard to do, but it is possible. Divine Providence 321, Swedenborg says he anticipates that. It seems as though it would be impossible to believe and think in accord with the truth that everything good and true comes from the Lord and everything evil and false from hell, when in fact to do so is truly human and truly angelic. So that's actually the program we were created to run, that what we're doing now is unnatural, not acknowledging that we're affected at all by heaven or hell. That's actually unnatural. Still, we seem to think for ourselves, even if it is coming from hell, because the Lord provides that no matter where our thinking is coming from, it seems to be happening within us and to be ours. Otherwise, we could not live like humans. We could not be let out of hell and let into heaven that is reformed. It seems to us like all our thinking and feeling is not affected by anything other than our self-generation machines, and that is by design, because you can't reject something evil if there's not an allure, to, or you don't. It doesn't have the potential to be yours. You you have to as if if the, even if this was mine, I wouldn't want it. That's a choice that means something when it comes with actually a choose-your-own-adventure of, I could go with this because I want it, but I'm choosing not to. That is a spiritual movement. That has power. So we have to use our sense of self, our sense of ownership over the good and evil that are coming into us to be reformed, and we, we use that in order to turn ourselves away from hell to heaven. And for a little more about that, back to Divine Providence 321. Is there anyone who does not know or who cannot know that what is evil comes from hell and what is good comes from heaven? Can anyone then fail to see that we, abst- that we abstain from hell and turn away from it to the extent that we abstain and turn away from evil? On that, this basis, can anyone fail to see that we intend and love what is good to the extent that we abstain and turn away from evil, and that, in fact, the Lord releases us from hell to the same extent and leads us to heaven? 
all rational people can see this, provided they know that hell and heaven exist and know where evil and good come from. If then we reflect on the evils in ourselves, which is the same as self-examination, and abstain from them, then we extricate ourselves from hell, turn our backs on it, and make our way into heaven where we see the Lord face to face. We may say that we are doing this, but we are doing it in apparent autonomy, and therefore from the Lord. Well, that turning, you may know it as, by another name, uh, repentance, is a big word in Jesus Christ's ministry, but also in a lot of traditions. And that word may seem a little daunting, but if we look at it that way, if we look at where that word comes from, it sheds a little light on how it's really about this sort of turning. So here's some commentary on that. Jesus's first words to us in the Bible are to repent. And in fact, so are John the Baptists. That word repent can be confusing to people. But if you look at the words that it comes from, in Greek and Hebrew, you get a different picture. The Greek word used there is metanoeo, which means to change your mind, really. Um, and the verb form that is used when Jesus and John are asking us to repent is one that implies a continued process, like repeatedly, do this thing repeatedly. So changing your mind, and if you change the way you think, change the way you think, then that implies you're going to change the way you... And that means to turn, or to return, or to turn away from, or to turn toward. So if, for instance, um, you're going to turn from one kind of behavior to another. In the Hebrew, the word is shuv, for us to turn away from our evils and turn toward God. And I, I like both those languages because you actually get an image in your mind. You get an image of your mind about turning or changing. You can imagine all kinds of things from the, the change in seasons or the change in a flower growing. I mean, something's happening. When I think repent, I'm like, what? <laughs> but changing or turning, I really get that. Uh, I feel something when I hear those words. That's Caradom, the Latin consultant for the translation of Swedenborg's books that we've been reading here. And that turning or changing that she's talking about, that is fermentation. Well, I mean, it's not directly, but that process is the process that fermentation is a physical representation of. So now we are going to look at how fermentation directly reflects that process. And we're just focusing on wine um, this episode because we just got to pick one kind of fermentation. There are all kinds of other fermentation. There's there's you know, bread making to kombucha tea. There's all kinds of stuff. We chose wine this time, so we'll go with that. A diagram of the basics of fermentation. In the most basic terms, fermentation is a process by which you have a kind of liquid, which is that delicious grape juice you see there. You add some ingredients, a process is stimulated, and the liquid becomes a new thing. And we're going to say that that old liquid is our pre-Reformation state. The grape juice is our pre-Reformation state, and the new liquid, the wine, is once Reformation has done its work. Swedenborg actually describes this as a kind of spiritual fermentation. In Divine Providence 284, he says, when we are being reformed, the goodness and the evil are brought face to face. 
Then a clash occurs, a battle that is called a temptation, if it is severe. If it is not severe, though, it happens like the fermentation of wine or beer. If the goodness wins, then the evil and its distortion are moved to the sides, much as dregs settle to the bottom of the bottle. The goodness comes to be like a wine that has become vintage wine after fermentation, or beer that has become clear. If the evil wins, though, then the goodness and its truth are moved to the sides and become murky and dark like half-fermented wine or half-fermented beer. And you may say, what makes you an expert on talking about winemaking? Well, we did it. I mean, we here at Swedenborg and Life, this show, we got a kit to try to make wine. All these clips you see are us doing that. Here, here's a little clip of us doing it right now. Okay, so that was just our batch. Uh, that was just our batch number. Um, so <laughs> you'll see these clips of us making it as it goes, because we wanted to see the process for ourselves if we're going to make a whole show about it. Okay, we've got, we've got ourselves our equation. We know now what process fermentation reflects. It's the process of repentance, and we are now going to look at what that process looks like inside of us. So let's do it. Part three. Let's take a look at a little chart here of the chemical process of fermentation. So don't panic when there's no quiz. You don't have to memorize all this stuff, but we're just going to show it. The basic process of winemaking is the conversion of sugars into alcohol by enzymatic catalysis by the yeast. Through a multi-step chemical process, a glucose molecule, for example, is converted into ethanol and carbon dioxide. And actually, you don't have to know anything except glucose and ethanol. Just remember, we're taking glucose, making it into ethanol, okay? That process happens in us, except instead of molecules, it's spiritual components in us. It is thoughts and feelings that are changing. And it's not just, we can already tell from fermentation the nature of it, that it's not just a thinking process in us, this repentance that it's mirroring. It's not just about changing the way we're thinking, it's changing the way that we feel about things. That's what Reformation is, right? If you just think differently, but you don't feel differently, you haven't really changed as a person. And because we have the opportunity as human beings to love both good or evil, meaning you can enjoy things that are social or antisocial, we actually have a choice here, and that we have to, if we want to stop love, enjoying things that are evil, we've got to make a change. Now, we're going to start to lay out the actors in this process to, to explain how fermentation mirrors this change of heart in us. And we're going to begin with our buddies that we were just talking about, glucose and ethanol, because we're going from glucose to ethanol. So what, what is this molecule, what, what is it representing in us, in the process. Now, when Swedenborg was writing, when Jesus was speaking, the human race did not speak in these kind of terms, glucose, ethanol. We didn't know about that. So what what part are they? Obviously, there's not direct commentary from Swedenborg, but if you look at how these guys are made, it's not obvious in this glucose molecule picture. Every one of those bends in that hexagon is a carbon atom, 
And you see down here, there's also a carbon backbone in ethanol. These are carbohydrates. These are carbon molecules. And there's two reasons why that gives us a clue as to what this would represent. Um, first of all, carbon is like the mainstay of life. I don't know, you, high school chemistry, everything living depends on carbon. It's got just the right, uh, it's got just the right uh, strength of bonds in order to make it so that life can happen. So we have these guys sharing in the mainstay of life, and they're carbs. So what's the, the carbiest thing in the Bible? It'll be bread. And Swedenborg actually says in Heaven and Hell one eleven that bread, generally speaking, corresponds to an affection for whatever is good because it is the mainstay of life and because it is used to mean all food, just like carbon is the mainstay of life on a molecular level. So I think it's safe to say that these both these molecules and bread are symbols of the will side. And if you look at fermentation, which Swedenborg has already said symbolizes this process, you can tell that uh, there's a change going on, so it's got to mirror that. So that's the assertion we're going to make, is that that glucose to ethanol is a picture of our heart changing from being mean to being nice. And now we're going to try to back it up. Secrets of Heaven 3938. And this is talking about, we're talking about inside us, trying to change how we feel about things and why that's difficult. All emotions have their pleasure, but the nature of the emotions determines the nature of the pleasure. The desire for evil and falsity also has its pleasure. And until we regenerate and accept from the Lord a desire for truth and goodness, this seems like the only kind of pleasure. So the pleasure in evil, it's like, life would be no fun if I couldn't get my kicks this way. The illusion is so strong that we do not believe any other kind of delight exists. If it were taken from us, we think, we would be utterly destroyed." People who receive from the Lord the, the, the delights of a desire for what is true and good gradually see and sense that the delights of their previous life, which they considered irreplaceable, are comparatively worthless and even vile. The further we enter into the pleasures of a desire for truth and goodness, the more we start to feel disgust and eventually loathing for the pleasures of a desire for evil and falsity. So we may be now, in our current stage of life, thinking, ah, you know, loving goodness instead of loving, you know, getting ahead or being better than other people or whatever your particular foibles are, that it would be no fun. That's okay. That's how it seems in the beginning. Swedenborg is making a promise here that as we're taking down this process, this spiritual fermentation, we go from thinking pleasures and evil are the only thing that could be good, all the way to thinking, wow, I, I, the, the depth of peace and connection in love is so much better than ego-driven mania that, that I don't even want the previous thing anymore. So we've, But we've got to be willing to take the journey, and we've got to start by reflecting, because if we don't reflect on what gives us pleasure, it, it leads to problems. Divine Providence 101, Swedenborg says, if we give no thought to the evils within us, that is, if we do not examine ourselves and then refrain from doing them, we wind up inevitably not knowing what evil is and then loving it because of the pleasure it offers us. If you don't stop and think about it, you just keep doing negative things because, it, you know, it's got to be good. It's got to be fine. I was thinking about, I watched this movie, Concussion. Did you guys see that with Will Smith? He's talking about this doctor who found out, hey, head-to-head -head collisions in football are really causing problems. People, these these football players are dying at, at like 45. This is a problem. And everyone was like, don't say that. Don't say that. We want to watch football. We want to watch football. We don't have to tone it down at all, you know, because it was pleasurable. So I think that's that's the story of that. 
and on a smaller scale, as a little kid, you always want to be the best. I mean, you want to get the biggest piece of cake. You want to be first in line, and that's fine for a little kid. But as we grow up and out of it, we or we should be growing out of it. If we don't, if we stay in that childlike self-centeredness, that's what brings all these problems into the world. The world. So we've got to be willing to examine ourselves, and it's work to do that. But there's a catalyst that begins it, and that's removing evils from our outer self. That's how we begin the process internally. So this is from Divine Providence 100. it is. This is a, this is his chapter title. I said they got long. You can see all this capitalization because this is a, a. There's like subject headings and then chapter titles. And anyway, it is a law of divine providence that we should put aside evils in our outer nature, regarding them as sins, and doing so in apparent autonomy. And that this is the only way the Lord can put aside evils in our inner nature and in our outer nature alike. So there's the heading, and here's what he says about the reason why we've got to scoot stuff out of the way before things can get going. On the basis of reason alone, everyone can see that the Lord, who is goodness itself and truth itself, cannot enter us unless what is evil and false in us has been banished. What is evil is the opposite of what is good, and what is false is the opposite of what is true, and there is no way that opposites can mingle. No, when one approaches the other, there is a battle that lasts until one gives way to the other. Then the one that gives way moves off, and the other takes its place. There is this kind of opposition between heaven and hell, or between the Lord and the devil. Is it reasonable for anyone to think that the Lord can enter where the devil is in control, or that heaven can be in the same place as hell? With the rationality given to everyone who is sane, Can we not see that the devil must be expelled for the Lord to enter, that hell must be banished for heaven to come in? The basic process of removing evils from our outer nature is called repentance. That's what happens when you do, uh, that's what happens in the process of repentance, okay? And so what happens when you start it? What does the process look like for us? That's what we're going to look at next before to kind of cleanse the mind a little bit because we've jumbled a lot of information in there. Here's a little clip of us testing the specific gravity of the wine that we're making. Now that we're starting to build some symbol symbolization into this, maybe think about what could this mean testing it to see if it's ready yet. So here's our little clip. So how do we change our will? Have you Are you with me that far? We're talking about, we're going into a process where we change ourselves 
you know, or we, we work with God to change ourselves from finding enjoyment in things that harm others to finding enjoyment in things that help others. That's the process, the internal process of repentance, a.k.a. spiritual fermentation. So how do we change that? How do you make yourself love something different? The beginning is to apply truths. This is Divine Providence 83. He says, everyone is regenerated by means of truths and through living by them. It is truths that enable us to know what life is and life that enables us to practice truths. This is how goodness and truth are united in the spiritual marriage where we find heaven. But so there, that's how you do it. How, what is that like? How do you even start something like that? Secrets of Heaven 4353. The act comes first. Our will to do it comes after. What we do at the back of intellect, we eventually do with a will and finally take on as a habit. At that point, it is infused into our inner rational self. Once it has been infused, we no longer do good from truth, but from good, because we start to feel a certain bliss and to sense something of heaven in it. This feeling remains with us after death, and through it, the Lord lifts us into heaven. Because you can't just right away say, okay, I'm going to feel differently about this person, or I'm going to feel differently about this situation. That's very hard to do. Swedenborg says, you got to almost, you got to fake it till you make it. You got to do the thing, and then through that, through that doing, the will comes around. He says, that's the way you, you change first the parts that are easy to change, and that creates the environment in which the love can then change. It's sort of like if you, I, I haven't done it, but I've heard, if you cut sugar out of your diet, initially you have all these headaches and you crave sweet stuff intensely, but as you get more and more used to it, your body calms down, and actually you get to a point where really sweet things are too sweet for you now. You don't even want that, and you're tasting more subtle sweetnesses in less sugary things. So these that's another physical process. We're not getting into that, but these processes mirror spiritual things. So if we're going to talk about physical processes, in any chemical reaction, there's something called the activation energy. If, if you don't know if you took chemistry in high school, but it, how much energy do you need to start that particular chemical reaction? So if we're starting about, I mean, thinking about starting a process in us that changes what we love, how, do you, how much does it take to get that reaction going? Swedenborg says, actually, not very much. This is true Christianity 530. If we abstain from one sin or another that we have discovered in ourselves, that is enough to make our repentance real. When we reach this point, we are on the pathway to heaven, because we then begin to turn from an earthly person into a spiritual person and to be born anew with the help of the Lord. So just just something. If you do anything that, just anything, this is destructive, I'm not going to do it, that's, that's enough to kickstart the process there. So that's how much it takes to start. But what happens when we actually try to start this process in ourselves? When we're first waking up to the, oh, I have an impact on other people, maybe I should try to optimize that impact so that I'm affecting people positively. What happens? Well, and there's actually a warning about that in the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 6. Be careful, Jesus says to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He uses the word leaven in some translations. It means the same thing. Why is Jesus talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Isn't that strange? Well, it's because 
we're going to identify another character here. We're going to talk about what the yeast in this process of fermentation is. This is Secrets of Heaven 9992. Yeast means falsity arising from evil, because that kind of falsity defiles good and truth as well, and also because it gives rise to conflict. For when that kind of falsity gets near good, agitation occurs, and when it gets near truth, a collision takes place. So I just want to pause here. No offense to yeast. I'm not saying we're not saying that yeast is an evil organism, or that yeah, or that it somehow is an enemy or or doesn't deserve to be on this planet. That's not what correspondence is. The yeast is playing a role here that's analogous to the role of evil and falsity, but that doesn't mean the yeast is bad. It's on a physical level, yeast is just a creature like a squirrel trying to survive and have its optimum environment. But when you look at this through the lens of that the yeast is playing that role of a as a character. Do you understand that? It's just like the alcohol that's produced here. It doesn't it symbolizes this new love in us. It doesn't mean that alcohol is that great of a thing. It just means it's a symbol of the process. Just like battles in the the text of the Old Testament can symbolize spiritual struggles within us. It doesn't mean those battles are good. Uh, you know, it just means that they're symbolizing something. So that's before we get any letters about the yeast. Okay, so we've, but we've identified the yeast is this evil and falsity that comes at us when we start. And here's a little bit about this first stage of fermentation, primary fermentation. It's called aerobic, it's, it's traditionally been called aerobic fermentation, which is, this process is actually just cellular respiration, which means the yeast are happy and healthy and because there's lots of oxygen. And so they're, they're using it up and they're, they're, they're living and they're multiplying. So this oxygen is a symbol of truth. Um, you have, that is, that is something that Swedenborg regularly backs up. He doesn't use the word oxygen, but he says that the lungs correspond to truth and that breath corresponds to truth. So you would think oxygen on a molecular level corresponds to truth as well. So you have this oxygen that comes into primary fermentation, and the yeast multiplies. So if the yeast is a symbol of falsity and evil and resistance, what it all comes down to mean is when we start to apply these truths, it actually seems like everything gets worse in the beginning, because when we start to apply these truths to our lives, everything else gets stirred up, and it can actually seem like, have you ever felt like, I'm going to try to set this thing in order in my life, I'm going to try to follow this path, and everything gets more chaotic? for a little while. I don't know if you've had that experience, but that's what Swedenborg says, that's a part of the process of fermentation, because in primary fermentation, the yeast actually multiplies. So the, the evil and falsity inside us seems to multiply, it becomes more obvious and more abundant. Secrets of Heaven 7906, in further regard to leavened and unleavened bread, so here he's talking about a different correspondence with fermentation, be aware that the truth in us can never be purified of falsity without fermentation, so to speak. That is, without a fight put up by falsity against truth and by truth against falsity. After the fight is finished and truth is conquered, falsity drops away like the waste products of fermentation, and truth stands purified like wine, which clarifies upon fermentation the dregs settling to the bottom. <clears throat> the main occasion for this fermentation or fight is when our state changes, when our actions start to be motivated not by faith and truth as they previously were, but by neighborly love 
and goodness. And that, what he's describing there, is this major turning point where we go from, I know I'm supposed to do this thing because it's the right thing, I'll do it, I don't want to do it, to I love doing this because I this I know what this stands for. I want to do this. That's the major turning point in us, and also marks physically in our fermentation process the tr- the transition from the first phase to the second phase of fermentation. So let's see what that's all about. So here we are looking now. We looked at primary fermentation. Coming up next, yep, secondary fermentation. Here's a little diagram. Again, don't panic. Barely any of this is going to be on the test at the end. So when you switch to secondary fermentation, you limit your presence of oxygen. You know, we did it by transferring our mixture to a different container where oxygen is not as abundant. So then the environment becomes anaerobic, meaning it's lacking oxygen. So the yeast no longer can do their regular respiration multiply thing they did when oxygen was there. Instead, they start producing ethanol. Um, So they actually start converting this glucose to ethanol, which is this new liquid begins to appear. This is a great time to just stop and say that there actually is some of this process, this conversion into alcohol happening in primary fermentation. It's not all just completely uniform, but but for the sake of this, we're going to say you know, this, is, this is how it's broken up. It, it works for the metaphor. You could apply it both ways. The, the important point is here you're starting to go from one liquid to another liquid. You're going now from grape juice to wine, and this reflects the will part of us changing in spiritual rebirth. This is Divine Providence 83. The reason no one can enter heaven without being born again is that we are involved in all kinds of evils through what we inherit from our parents. We also inherit an ability to become spiritual by the removal of those evils. Unless we do become spiritual, we cannot enter heaven. And changing from being earthly to being spiritual is being reborn or regenerated. When we are regenerated, the whole pattern of our life is inverted. We become spiritual instead of earthly, since what is earthly is contrary to the divine design when it is separated from what is spiritual, and what is spiritual is in keeping with the divine design. The result is that when we have been regenerated, we act out of thoughtfulness and make the elements of that thoughtfulness play part of our faith. Thoughtfulness part of our faith. So let's look at some more of our process here of making wine. You have wine which symbolizes, it's not the same thing as it being that, but it symbolizes sacred truth, that water is the truth, but when you have lived the truth, it becomes sacred truth. So wine is a symbol for truth that's lived from a love for goodness. So when we do something that's, tr- that, that's good and true because we want to, that's what makes the wine sacred, that symbolism. This comes about when we go through the process of spiritual fermentation. So that is the change in the liquid. And the Swedenborg comments on it further in True Christianity 571. This is, again, talking about these two states. There are two states we all inevitably enter into and go through if we are to turn from an earthly person into a spiritual person. The first is a state of thought that occurs in the intellect, and that is our primary fermentation stage. That's when we are just doing things because we heard it's the right thing to do. 
The second state is a state of love that occurs in our will. As the second state begins and progresses, a change takes place in our minds. There is a reversal or turning point because then the love in our will flows into our intellect and leads and drives it to think in agreement and in harmony with what we love. As good action, and that's, that's the second process there. That's the second half. That's the fermentation where this alcohol is beginning to be produced. We're becoming a new liquid. As good actions that come from love take on a primary role and the truths related to faith are relegated to a secondary role, we become spiritual and are a new creation. Then our actions come from goodwill and our words come from faith. We develop a sense of the goodness that comes from goodwill and a perception of the truth that is related to faith. We are in the Lord and in a state of peace. Doesn't sound so bad. In brief, we are reborn. That's the process. We have this new will that's leading us to feel things differently and think differently, and that is symbolized by this transition of liquid. But it's not even just the liquid changing. Every part of the fermentation process represents something spiritual in us. We've had some discussion by Swedenborg about the dregs, which is the stuff that falls off during the the process. The yeast eats the glucose, which creates alcohol and actually kills the yeast, and the yeast settles, like evil and falsity get pushed out in us when the alcohol, which symbolizes love, makes an environment in us that's inhospitable to evil and falsity. So there's a physical analog. The alcohol kills the yeast. The yeast settle in us, What's happening is described in this video of Divine Providence 79. We say that whatever we do freely and in keeping with our thought is permanent, because nothing we make part of ourselves can be eliminated. It has become part of both our love and our reasoning, part of both our volition and our discernment, that is, and therefore part of our life. Actually, it can be displaced but it still cannot be ousted. When it is displaced, it is moved from the center to the periphery, and there it dwells. This is what being permanent means. For example, suppose that in youth and early maturity, we have taken into ourselves a pattern of doing something wrong because of the pleasure it gives to our love. Cheating, perhaps, or blasphemy, or revenge, or promiscuity. Since we have done so freely, in keeping with our thought, we have made this part of ourselves. Later though, if we repent, turn away from this behavior and regard it as sin that is to be rejected, and therefore refrain from it freely and rationally, then we make part of ourselves the good behavior that is opposite to the evil. This good behavior then takes its place in the center and moves the evil toward the periphery farther and farther out, depending on our distaste for and rejection of it. The evil still cannot be ousted to the point of being uprooted, even though it may seem to be so. What is happening is that the Lord is restraining us from the evil behavior and keeping us in the good. This is what happens with all the evil we inherit and with all the evil we act out. So that evil is pushed out to the side and sits there kind of at the bottom of our of our what i was gonna say barrel but it's actually a jar in this case this is the dregs and it settles down there when you're making it so that is actually a symbol of this process that is 
a mirror of what happens in us. That's our evil at the bottom. That wine there is the good, loving part in us that's, that's higher than the bottom. So that is a process that happens. And Swedenborg says, even angels are in this situation as well. This is Divine Providence 79. I have seen things that bore witness to this in some people in heaven, people who thought they were free of evils because the Lord was keeping them involved in what is good. To prevent them from thinking that they actually owned the good qualities that they were enjoying, they were let down from heaven and back into their evils until finally they recognized that on their own they were immersed in evils, but were being held in what is good by the Lord. Once they recognized this, they were brought back into heaven. So angels, Swedenborg says angels are people that have you know, allowed this process to happen, who are in the heavenly mindset, but even they have these dregs, and if they ever get to thinking, I'm so much better than everyone else, or something close to that, they get reminded, you know, everyone's got their flaws, you know, don't judge. So that's that happens. In light of that, even, even angels are still going through this process. It can take a while in us. It's okay to feel like, uh, I'm, I'm making slow progress, or I'm making barely any. It's okay to feel like mixed in your spiritual growth or your repentance. Like, I'm doing really well in this area, uh, I'm not doing very well over here. But there's in fermentation, there's all these micro-environments, areas that have more alcohol, less alcohol, in the within the same container. That's how we are. So that's that's the process. And in case you're watching this show and you thought, this has not been weird enough, let's add like a little Swedenborg weirdness in there. This this process not only happens within each of us as individuals, Swedenborg says in the spiritual world, this happens to whole communities. They go through this process. This is Divine Providence 25. Uh, he says, spiritual fermenting happens in many ways, both in the heavens and on earth, but people in our world do not know what these processes are or how they happen. There are things that both evil, there are things that are both evil and false that are injected into communities the way agents of fermentation are injected into flour or grape juice. These serve to separate things that do not belong together and unite things that do, so that the substance becomes pure and clear. Everything is a symbol of everything. So what happens on an individual level happens on a community level and so on. You can try this at home. I mean, when when you are going through spiritual struggles this week, meaning I'm trying to be what I believe is a better person, it's hard because I get overwhelmed by this thing, instead of getting down on yourself, just think, I'm fermenting. I'm fermenting spiritually. Right now, there's a process going on in me that's complicated, but it is moving forward. All right, so that's what we have to say for you guys here. Um, So, great. Thanks very much for watching. That's our show. Uh, I want to say like and subscribe. If you enjoyed this whole thing, I hope you did. If you did, clicking this helps push it out into the community, uh, which, you know, hopefully someone comes across it and learning about the nuances of spiritual fermentation is just what they needed. Um, So, if you, if for some weird reason you can't get enough of this show, check this out. Our 100th episode is coming up, and you are invited to come physically to it. We're gonna, On March 16th, 2016, at 8, our usual time, we're going to be in the Pendleton Hall Auditorium in, at Bernathan College in Bernathan, Pennsylvania. That's just 
just outside the city of Philadelphia. If you're anywhere in that area, why don't you come? You can come and watch us tape a live episode of this there. We'd love to have you, and we'll have more updates about it as we approach the date. Mark it on your calendars. You know, we can hang out. All right, thanks for watching, and we're going to get to the questions just like I said, but first, here's a way you can help this whole show and everything the Swedenborg Foundation does keep going. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. We need your donations because it's we need to be able to proofread our stuff better. That graphic for the 100th episode said March. It's supposed to say May because March has already passed, man. There is no March 2016. May, come see our 100th episode. And next episode, we'll, we'll plug it again. All right, let's, let's get to some questions. Let's just do it. I said we're going to do it. Let's do it. Guy, Swedenborg speaks of a ruling love in all people. Does he ever talk about how to find it? Yes, he does. His concept of ruling love is a little different than you might think. It's not necessarily like your greatest passion. It's really what drives you above all things. And he says it essentially, everyone has it in a different way, but in in a certain way it boils down to either I love helping people or I only care about myself. You know, that that's it. But if you want to know about what you love, what excites you? You know, if, if I am only, if I'm doing this show... And I'm only excited when somebody says, Curtis is cool, which never happens, don't worry about it. Uh, but I'm, if somebody says, this show really helped me, and I'm like, blah, whatever, I can know that I'm being led by my ruling love is a love for myself and my own reputation. But if, I, if you are out there and you're hearing about someone getting helped or you know of someone getting helped and that's, or you're driven by that, that is what's leading you. So the more you notice what are your purposes in life and what gets you excited, uh, that's how you can know what ruling love is. However, this whole show has been about how there's plenty of negative things that can get us excited, but that you don't want to make that your ruling love. You want to ch- choose to focus on the good things, and then the divine more and more reveals. So sort of a helpful answer, sort of a not helpful. That's about how we do things here. All right, number two. Marvin, did Swedenborg have any thoughts on justification and sanctification? Oh, man, I'm no theologian, but he certainly did have thoughts on that. I mean, justification, there was this prevailing uh, the prevailing Christian view in his time that justification by faith alone, that was the party line of the Christian church in his day, which was had control over a lot of the facets of life in Europe, and they so... You have faith, you believe this thing, it gets you to heaven. Swedenborg says that, no, it's it's what we just talked about in this episode. I mean, that is what you got to do. You got to choose heaven, and choosing heaven is not a one-time thing where you recite something. It's a process where you change your will through constant effort 
to try to be better in little steps at a time. You got to ferment. That's how you justify it. I don't, and, and so, so those are, those, that's a thought on it. Um, sanctification, you should look it up because I'm sure that that's used as a technical term. He does comment on a lot of Christian theology, but I don't have that loaded in my brain and I don't want to just make it up. There you go. Okay. <laughs> 48% helpful on that one. Next one. Cynthia, does Swedenborg talk more about the process of trees and how they are planted and grow and bring forth fruit and how that relates to humans and our regeneration process? Yes, he does. We actually did a Swedenborg Minute. We, on this channel, there's a series called Swedenborg Minute, and it's called How Our Mind is Like a Tree. It's only a minute long, so it doesn't say that much. I'll just say it here. He says that the way trees grow exactly is a representation of the way a human mind develops. That you have, um, you know, you have concepts which are like the trunk and the branches, and that those, those, and, and the leaves are like wisdom or, or ideas, and then the fruit is good, useful actions. So everything leads up to good, useful actions. That's a mirror of our spiritual growth process. At first, we're just developing capability to do things, then we learn the right things, and then we produce fruit. That's why Jesus Christ is always talking about bearing fruit. You know, a, a tree is known by its fruit. He's not criticizing how well a tree fits into an orchard. He's talking about us. Do we produce good actions out of love? That's the fruit. And there's much more in there. If You, you can look up a, a, about Swedenborg and trees. If you keyword search that in any of his books, he talks a lot about trees. That's also why uh, in the New Testament, the guy who is blind and gets his sight healed says, I see men like trees walking, that there's a correspondence there. So absolutely, Cynthia, that's that's my answer. Okay, next one. Sam, why was Jesus the only 12-year-old regenerate in a human form, and we regenerate here on earth and then regenerate as a spirit when we die? Did Jesus regenerate as a physical, natural being after he died? Jesus went through all the processes that we go through. Swedenborg says, we had a whole show that's called Why Jesus Was Born. We also had one called The Spiritual Struggles of Jesus Christ. Look at that for a lot more of Swedenborg's Jesusology. But Swedenborg says essentially that, that Jesus was like us in that he had a human side, but his spiritual side, instead of being from God, was God, that, that, that he, he was God in human form. Uh, unlike we who are receivers of life from God in human form. There is a distinction there. So, so Jesus was doing everything in an accelerated way. That's why he went so much faster than we do. He went through all the processes we do. He actually made that path possible, but he did it faster. So I think he completes the process, that we can never complete it because we're finite. We can always be progressing towards the infinite, but he can actually say, Done. I did it. And that's why he gets to be God, you know? So th those are a few thoughts. Hopefully I, I understand your question there. Okay, next one. Zeke, if God loves life, why did he make it so we have to kill animals to survive as our food source? Well, Swedenborg says that the first peoples didn't kill animals, that that is a a fallen sort of state. He says that the human race is so hardwired for it now that it's not going to send you to hell or something, but that's not how things would be ideally. But that doesn't really get us out of the why does why does uh, why do animals kill each other? All you know this process we're talking about here, fermentation kills yeast. Why does that happen? He says that well, the physical world is a representation of 
the spiritual world, right? So when things started to go bad, when when evil crept into things, he says that's kind of the cause of everything evil in the physical world, that it's not supposed to be like that, that the lion laying down with a lamb in, in the Bible is a picture of emotions, like the, the, the fierce part of the human psyche and the, the innocent tame part, both becoming innocent and tame, and that, that that's why as a, f- a physical analog it would be that there is animals who would normally kill each other being able to coexist. So that that's the vision we're trying to get toward. Um, yeah, as, as far as like why people, you know, people have been living off of a diet, an animal diet for so long. I don't know. Can people survive without it? I don't know. Some do. Some have a harder time. That's a, that's a complex question, and I don't feel like I have the answer, but God is not interested in letting any suffering happen that doesn't have to happen. So I would have to imagine that somehow he's mitigating the suffering of life forms. I do know when people can report on when they're dying, um, they say, you know, oh, I suddenly was in a tunnel. Do animals go through that same thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Those are a couple thoughts on that. Okay, next one. Sally, what if we repent, but we have no willpower? How do we connect with the Lord to strengthen our willpower? It's it's hard, and some issues harder than others, to, to do it, you know, or you seem to relapse. And this is why we included some of this stuff in here about how just a little effort can get the process started, um, and it's okay to feel like, you know, there's a lapse there, because... Um, that it's not something you can just turn on like a switch. I'm going to do this. And it it gets to me back into that point of act proceeds, willing follows. If we just try to do it, even if we don't want to, then we're trying. But what I think is, it's not about your score. Like, I didn't want to do this thing. I didn't do it once, but then I did it two times. So now I'm at negative one. Any effort is enough to get it going. Just even wanting to try to resist, even like looking back and realizing I shouldn't have done that. um, I think that matters. Like once somebody made the excellent metaphor of spiritual growth is like potty training when when you're a baby. At first, when you're a baby, (laughs) we're going to talk about poop for a second here, so turn off your computers if, if you're sensitive. When you're first a baby, you have no idea that you're peeing and pooping in your diaper. You just don't, you, you maybe, I feel something, you don't know what it is. That's like us, we do, we do these nasty negative things, we're just totally asleep to it. Then, if you're a baby, you just start to realize, oh, I did poop my diaper. Like you just start to know, but then potty training is, at first, you know, but right before you have to go and you, you end up not making it to the bathroom, slowly, you progress to the point like all of us, where you barely ever poop your pants. Okay, um, but do you get what I'm saying? It's a process, and it doesn't always have to be, oh, I, I won, I did it right, I did it right. It's like, even if afterwards you're like, ah, oh, shouldn't have done that, that's progress too. That's my, that's my take on it anyway. Unnecessary poop metaphor. Next, Matt. How do we know when evil is persuading us? It can sound like our minds, our voice, and sometimes sound so very reasonable. I fear not knowing the difference. Yeah, then that's, that's, you know, that's the whole game of evil, is it tries to say, I'm not evil. Evil never says I'm evil. We did a couple, a series of shows. The first one is called How to Deal with Evil Spirits. The second one is called 
How to Free Your Mind from Hell, and the third one is called The Lies Evil Spirits Tell Us, and those are all about how to identify hell and how to make sure you know it is hell. So I would recommend those, but to me, the, the own, you're never going to know for sure. I mean, you're never going to know for sure, is this a good thing to follow, is it not? But the more I learn about heaven and hell from Swedenborg and, and from other sources and from life, the more I learn about what's good and what's evil and, and the way that they work, the more I build that sort of s- structure or scaffold in my mind, the more I can use that to kind of weigh input that I get. Is this from heaven or hell? Like if I know that, you know, Swedenborg says the angelic mindset is to not worry about the future, anything in my mind that's causing me to want to worry about the future, even if it seems reasonable, I can say, that's a flag, that's suspicious. I can't know for sure that you're from hell, but that's not a good start. Anything that is uh, negatively thinking about some other person, it could be you need to think that, but that's a flag too. You start being able to cast reasonable doubts on these things, and also, you know, pray and reflect and and see if you can get it. And I don't think we're ever going to be 100% perceptive. Swedenborg got to that point where whenever he would have a thought come into his mind, he not only could know, but he could see the hell that was bringing it, and he could actually, you know, call him out and say, hey, stop that. But I don't know if we can get to that point. Some of us obviously could, but, you know, us regular people... I think we just more and more try to develop that discernment, and that's a lifelong thing. And the more that we go through this spiritual growth, the better our perception gets. That's what Swedenborg says anyway on that. So great question, and that's one that I'm trying to figure out myself as well. I'm always trying to figure out how do you know what's what, what do you take, what do you leave. So good luck on your journey, Matt. Thanks, everybody. We're going to roll in here. Oh, oh, we'll do one more. Uh, This is from Connie. Uh, isn't loving God and your neighbor as self the whole of the law? Furthermore, all traditional nuances are like the outer garment. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, Swedenborg says, and we talked about it in the beginning of the show, the means of salvation are universal, and so all you need to do is love God, love the neighbor. And even that is is loving good and truth. Um you can go. All this nuanced stuff, why do we teach you about spiritual fermentation, all this stuff, this helps in the specifics. Because as people are saying, it's hard sometimes to love God, love the neighbor. How do you know what's evil? How do you know what's good? How do you get yourself to overcome willpower issues? Things like this. It's concepts like this that help me. Oh, yeah, I feel like I messed up, but wait, remember, this is a process like that, or I can learn more about things, and that helps me navigate this situation. That's why we go on for an hour every week, is because we're hopefully giving people some extra handholds. I find the more I build this picture in my mind of the totality of the, the truth about things, the easier the and the more clear loving God and loving the neighbor becomes. So that's going to be our last question for the night. Thanks, everybody. Next week, we're going to be looking at renewable spiritual energy. So I hope you'll join us for that, and we'll see you then. 